Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is August 27th, 2018, and I'm joined by the founder of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. Thanks for joining me, Bill. I appreciate it very much. Good to be with you, Charlie. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the passing of John McCain, an extraordinary landmark in, in American politics. Uh, I noticed that you tweeted out a piece that was uh, headlined, The Death of Political Courage. So I, I want to try to just talk through what John McCain represents, who he was, and also this extraordinary moment that we have right now where the contrast between John McCain and the man who sits in the White House could not be starker. So let's start right there. The the president's reaction and non-reaction to John McCain. I'm going to put this in the category of it's shocking, but perhaps not surprising if you've been paying attention to Donald Trump. He seems never to have forgiven McCain, I guess, for two things. I mean, not not enthusiastically supporting him or really supporting him at all after he, Trump, won the nomination. And then, of course, the vote on, on, on health care, which scuttled the uh, partial reform of Obamacare. It's not clear what would have happened if it had passed. They would have had to go to conference and stuff. But in any case, uh, Trump regarded that as a was a personal defeat for him, I suppose. And and uh, he has been has really been bitter ever since. But obviously, there's a much deeper gulf there between the two men and, and what they stand for. And uh, Donald Trump is someone who, and this is really unfortunate, I think, for the country, honestly, it almost seems earnest to say it. But Previous presidents have had plenty of pettiness and jealousies and angers and so forth, and it, sometimes it's erupted. But most of the time, they were able to keep it under control, uh, keep it to the private quarters of the White House or the Oval Office with a couple of aides, and then in public be gracious. We, we know about all the – this. you know, Kennedy treated Johnson awfully, and, and they were – Truman was bitter at Eisenhower for things Eisenhower said when he was campaigning in 1952 and so forth. But the public decorum was maintained. Uh, when a distinguished senator died, there would be nice statements from the leaders of both parties and from the president and appropriate. And then McCain's more than just a normal senator or even a normal well-known senator, obviously. A huge figure, presidential candidate, a war hero, a major, major figure in the Senate of a kind you only have one or two a generation. And for Trump to be unwilling to say a word and to, and then this morning uh, raises the flag at the White House to full staff after having it at half staff for about what, 12 hours, uh, it's really the kind of pettiness that it, it doesn't reflect well on him. Kind of embarrassing for the country, uh, but maybe people will take a look at the whole thing and decide, you know, for all of his flaws, John McCain's kind of politics is a lot healthier for this country than Donald Trump's. Well, you tweeted out uh, earlier today that it would be a fitting uh, posthumous contribution of John McCain if the celebrations this week of his life inspire in others the moral clarity and political courage to say no to Trump and Trumpism. You know, it, it is – this does occur to me, and perhaps naively, that that there will be a moment where people will look at the way John McCain is being remembered, uh, his stature, his legacy – and think you know, um, you know, perhaps that's the the role model that uh, that I ought to follow, as opposed to being a a rubber stamp uh, or a uh, you know just a, a a camp follower. That if you're a member of the United States Senate, at some point you you you, you might think you know here here here's somebody that I would like to emulate. 
One would hope so. And McCain took on presidents of both parties on, on causes he cared a lot about. The, the media talk more about the causes they kind of like a little bit better, like mm-hmm. campaign finance reform and uh, tobacco and stuff. But the ones that, for me, were more important, and I, honestly, for John McCain, were more important, were the uh, foreign policy causes where he was a strong advocate of intervention in the Balkans to make sure that post-Cold War we didn't let the precedent get established that you know Europe, there could be just slaughters in Europe and elsewhere. Um, and eventually Clinton uh, went did what McCain more or less was recommending. Republicans attacked Clinton, but McCain held uh, firm in supporting Clinton on this while encouraging him to do it in the right way. And, and uh, I think McCain held a, a key part of Republican support there. And then obviously post 9-11, uh, McCain was, as I was, very much in favor of the strong response, pretty much in sync with the Bush administration. But, and this is not, people, he doesn't get enough respect for this, broke with Bush very, very early after the invasion of Iraq when he saw, he visited and saw we didn't have enough troops, spent three years saying we need more troops, we need a counterinsurgency strategy, spent a lot of time talking with people like Dave Petraeus and others kind of offline who uh, about what really was happening in Iraq. I mean, the degree to which McCain worked hard and got, got himself well informed about the issues he cared about, there, there were for a certain number of issues he had the kind of standard politicians or maybe standard for all of us, you know, six sentence deep knowledge. But right. on military and foreign policy, he really read up and studied and went and traveled and saw for himself. He fought for three years for the surge, in effect, before it was called the surge and before Bush ordered it finally after the election in 2006. It worked. He defended it. That's really when I spent the most time with him was probably in 07, 08, when in addition to running for president, he defended uh, uh, the surge and uh, and made actually allowed it to be sustained. Unfortunately, President Obama later on gave away those gains. But one forgets how you know we were in decent shape by the end of 2008. And then with Putin and other and Syria and other things since then, he took on uh, the Obama administration on the one hand, but also Republican isolationists on the other. Um, so he was he really he was courageous politically. There were things he cared a lot about. I think he was right about a lot of those things, especially in foreign policy, such a strong advocate for for liberty around the world and for a strong America uh, acting on behalf of liberty. Um, it would be nice if people didn't always consult the polls. I mean, this 2006-07 right. period is pretty amazing if you think about it for a minute. He's running for president. He's kind of the front runner because he came second to Bush in 2000. He could have played it safe, gotten along well with the Bush administration, gotten along well with most Republicans. And, you know, the Republican Party back then, at least, uh, tended to nominate the next in line and, you know, would have probably rallied behind McCain. There was no other obvious frontier candidate. Romney was a one-term governor of Massachusetts. You know, there were Fred Thompson, other people. Instead, McCain in those years takes on the torture issue uh, in a big fight with the Bush administration, takes on the Iraq, defends the Iraq war when it's become unpopular, but also criticizes the Bush administration, the Rumsfeld conduct of that war, and advances a controversial immigration reform bill. Mm-hmm. And he does that all when he's thinking of running for president and all to his own detriment, I would say, politically in the Republican primaries. That's a pretty impressive demonstration of courage and principle. So he's a, he's a complicated legacy. He was a complicated man, but you had a long, uh, long-standing relationship uh, with him. So just tell me about your... Tell me about the John McCain that you knew. You you mentioned that you were you were closest with him during that particular period of time. But did, I want to get I want to just get some sense of your interaction and, and and your take on John McCain the man. I mean, he was a complicated man. I always got along well with him, and we agreed on most things and the things we didn't agree on. We just 
you know, that's not we didn't work together on those. So the, the virtue of not being a, a senator or a staffer, just editing a magazine and and sort of dipping into things you want to dip into is you can sort of uh, leave aside the things where you disagree. Um, I, so I didn't see the famous temper much, honestly. I, I did see the, the, you know, very good. He, was, he had a good sense of humor. He had a dark sort of sense of humor. The famous line he used about how, you know, uh, it's, it's always darkest before it turns pitch black, <laughs> which he always used effectively in interviews or in speeches as a kind of surprise, you know. Uh, he also ascribed it to Chairman Mao, which is, I, I said to him once, well, Chairman Mao couldn't possibly have said that. What is it? It's, a, it's not a Chinese kind of statement, is it? It's making fun of an English, you know, uh, aphorism that it's always darkest before the dawn, you know. And he said, yeah, I don't church. I'm sure Chairman Mao didn't say it. Someone just told me that once and I thought it was funny. So I've been <laughs> using it. He had a very wry sense of humor. I mean, when you've been through what, what he was through, I suppose, in Vietnam, you have a certain sense of not taking everything as seriously as everyone else does in life. So a lot of things he took in a kind of a uh, happy-go-lucky way, you might almost mm-hmm. say. Uh, you, you, you've dealt with a lot of politicians and elected officials over the years. How is John McCain different from your average senator, or, or more particularly, the average mem- Republican senator who's there right now? What, what, what made him different? You know, he really did work hard. I think that part is sort of underestimated in a lot of the tributes. People see his humor and the depth of experience. You know, if he wanted to learn about an issue, he traveled somewhere. He, Of course, he knew it being a senator, especially a well-known senator, presidential candidate, he could have pretty much anyone he wanted on the phone or come visit him in the office. And he took advantage of that. And he would, I mean, I was intimidated by McCain a little bit, you know, and I, I sort of came to Washington as a staffer and still have that attitude. And so I wouldn't really call him much or, or you know, ask for meetings with him. But he would, if something was in the news and thought it was, he wanted to maybe learn more about it, He'd call and say, sometimes he'd say, what, I, what did I think? Sometimes he'd say, who should I talk to about this? Or Could you, I'm getting a few people together. Can you come to a totally informal meeting? And this was not for the press, and this was totally private. And he'd have three people, he'd have six people, he'd have Bob Kagan, he'd have Henry Kissinger. You know, he'd have all kinds of people talking about something because he wanted to make sure he understood it before he intervened. I, I think that, as I say, were more just, you know, more media things. He kind of just would pop off sometimes and whatever. But he, he, he worked harder than people realize. He took advantage of his celebrity in a sense. He could get in anywhere and abroad and, and talk to anyone. Um, and he, he worked, but he, he went nonstop. I mean, it's amazing how many people he knew and places he went, issues he got involved in. And I would say, for me also, just the... The sense that he he was having been a POW, having been a come to Washington as a Reagan supporter, he really had a sense of how much it meant to dissidents around the world. I think Mark Salter and some others captured this well in their pieces. Uh, Sharansky wrote a lovely piece from mm-hmm. Israel uh, that he could just visit them or speak up for them. You know, most of these senators, it's, they don't even think that they could do that. I don't know why. I mean, but McCain understood that if he could do that and if he got some publicity for it, it could help these people or inspire them or give them a sense that they had friends back in the U.S. And, and he really uh, took advantage of that part of, in a way, his celebrity for good cause. You know, his celebrity was not about just him being, he didn't mind being a celebrity. I think he liked it, you know, that people recognized him and admired mm-hmm. him and, you know, uh, treated him kind of well, I guess. It, but um, but he, he really used it for, for good, not just for his own uh, advantage. Well, what's really striking is, is how many of the tributes to John McCain talk about his character and his courage 
while noting that that here's somebody who was a flawed individual who I think you know made some political mistakes. Uh, you know, over the years, I disagreed with him. Um, you know, many times. You know, on on things ranging from you know McCain fine gold to uh, the selection of a vice presidential nominee, and yet as as he's as he's laid to rest, people I, I think are you know stepping back and getting the measure of the man that the the man in in full. Who could be wrong, whether it's, you know, the Keating Five or, you know, the variety of other issues that that annoyed many, you know, of his of his fellow Republicans and saying that that that, that you know, being judged on the man he was as opposed to the individual. I'm, I'm not making this as clearly as I want that there are men of of, of strong, admirable character who can make mistakes on issues as opposed to somebody who is, you know, fundamentally flawed or small or, uh, you know, a, 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 a narcissistic chronic liar who will occasionally get things right. But but ultimately, you're going to be judged on the man that you that you are. Yeah, uh, I mean, I do think he was a little larger than life in a sort of Churchill, you know, FDR way, um, a little bit of a throwback people might have thought. I mean, he was older enough than I that, you know, thought of him as being of a, a different generation than he was to some degree. And so, yeah, those kinds of people, you sort of forgive their flaws. And, and at the end of the day, I think what we see now when you look back at the whole life is that's, that's in a way right, that, I mean, most people who have uh, outsized achievements probably have certain, you know, flaws and uh, limitations, blind spots. Uh, maybe they couldn't have those achievements without them, excessive self-confidence or excessive something, you know. But um, nonetheless, I mean, when you think about the life, the personal life, the Vietnam side of it, uh, you know, just the achievements as a senator, and again, one could agree or disagree with him, but he was certainly one of the major forces in the Senate for 30 years. And then I come back especially to the love of liberty and the little piece I wrote over the weekend for the Standard uh, website, I was. Mm-hmm. It, it just occurred to me that Lincoln has that famous eulogy of Henry Clay, another great senator, incidentally, who didn't become president, very much wanted to be president, mm-hmm. and, and fell short. And talks about his uh, his love of liberty, that that's what really always motivated him and at home and abroad. And I, I really think that part of, of McCain, uh, that, that part was really important. It, it frustrated conservatives. He didn't think of himself first first and foremost as a movement conservative, but more as a, uh, you know, member of the party of liberty that overlaps an awful lot with modern conservatism, uh, overlaps a lot with modern conservatism at its best, maybe not so much with the uh, aspects that Trump has, has, has brought out. But for McCain, that was always what was key. And I remember uh, I was in Israel, as it happens in, in June, for a board meeting this year, and I saw Natan Sharansky, the great dissident, whom I mentioned he wrote a nice piece, but he asked me, yeah, it was a sad thing when you think about it. He asked me about two people who were ailing, who were both good friends of his personally and people he admired and felt kind of a great kinship with, Charles Krauthammer and John McCain. Mm-hmm. And both, of course, were, you know... Uh, and we've both lost them at precisely the moment when we need them the most, their voices the most. You know, when we refer to John McCain as a throwback, is that a way of acknowledging that it's unlikely that we're going to see political figures like him in the future? Was he the last of a breed? You know, I I think he would say no. Uh, He was sort of an optimist and that kind of beneath the sort of dark, you know, humor and so forth in that American way. He was very taken with some of the younger members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, who were veterans, who were post-9-11 veterans from both parties. And I think they looked to him as a mentor. They would always come see him. I know that House members, very junior House members, would sort of, uh, with some trepidation, ask for a meeting with with him, But if uh, even if they were just running. And he would always take it. And he he thought that was a hopeful uh, sign that these younger veterans who had served the country 
Uh, as, as, as one of them liked to say, you know, you don't ask when you're in the, the platoon in, in Afghanistan or Iraq, you don't ask people if they're Democrats or Republicans, you don't ask their views on every issue, right? You, you're a band of brothers. I think he really had that attitude that maybe these younger members could revive the spirit that he thought he and Bob Dole and Dan Inouye and some of those World War II and Korea and Vietnam veterans had brought to the, to the Congress. And yet there's really no one else in the Congress who is behaving the way that he behaved. I mean, there are people who, who, who give speeches. Um, I, I was struck by the fact that, um, and obviously maybe this is completely coincidental, but his closest friend, um, reportedly his closest friend in the Senate, uh, Lind- Lindsey Graham, uh, chose last week uh, to actually appear to, to provide cover for Donald Trump and throwing Jeff Sessions under the bridge. It seemed like a just a fundamentally non-McCain-like move. And so to me, I guess that reinforced the sense that that McCain is leaving and that there will be no one who will step up at all to play the role um, that that he's been playing. No, I was very disappointed with what Lindsey did. And and again, it was kind of too clever by half. He couldn't resist getting on TV and commenting on sessions and McCain was pretty disciplined that way. He loved being on TV. He did it a lot. He was. We were joking before one of the Sunday shows yesterday uh, that you know it was sort of appropriate that we were spending the whole Sunday show discussing McCain. As McCain was on the Sunday show so often and watched them actually when he wasn't on them. He was a. He loved politics. I mean, uh, he loved reading. Actually, he read fiction. He read poetry. I mean, he was a. He, but he, he wasn't consumed by politics. But he he was he loved politics and. Uh, and so that was uh, maybe appropriate. But anyway, um, Lindsay and others like him get too cute by half. McCain kept his eye on the things he cared the most about, and he didn't get too distracted by, you know, maybe I'll weigh in on, you know, make a clever comment on this here, that there. And I, I think that was another strength he had. He, he, I guess, again, his history, you know, his own personal history, yeah. let, let him put things into perspective. Well, you, you, you mentioned that he liked poetry. The Perhaps the only thing that I have in common with John McCain is that we both memorized the cremation of Sam McGee. Is that right? Wow. No, actually, when I was like 10 years old, I don't know why. I have no memory of why I did it, but it was the first long poem that I ever memorized. I can still remember being a kid, you know, and sitting in the bathroom, you know, trying to recite uh, that particular poem. I can't I, I wouldn't be able to do it right now. But of course, his story is so extraordinary that he he memorized, he learned the poem because one of his fellow cellmates had been tapping it out. Yeah, which is Andy one Ferguson. Of the more extraordinary, one of the most extraordinary stories uh, about uh, about John McCain's extraordinary life. Uh, the the contrast between him and, and Donald Trump, I, I want to keep coming back to this because, you know, uh, w- one of uh, Trump's, of course, uh, you know, strongest arguments is, is that, you know, America first patriotism, respect for the flag, but the but the but what John McCain represents is kind of a you know tradition of sacrifice and service, a very different version of patriotism that that on the surface, country first sounds like America first, but they're fundamentally different visions, aren't they? No, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of the two terms. They're, they're both so they sound so similar, and yet yeah. they mean such different things. That's so true. And look, maybe people who've been attracted to Trump for, you know, good reasons, let's put it that way, who thought, well, we need a kind of healthy patriotism after President Obama's, uh, you know, uh, leading from behind, who wanted to have someone stand up and be strong for America and so forth. Maybe reading about McCain this week, learning more about McCain gives them a sense that there's a different kind of strength, there's a different kind of patriotism that's healthier, really, for the country uh, than than the kind Trump sells. Yeah, I mean, the the... the 
the, the phrase that you hear all the time about Trump that he fights. Well, he he didn't fight. John McCain actually did fight. And I think that's one of the great uh, divides. You know, I, a lot of commentators keep coming back to a moment during the 2008 campaign uh, where this uh, this woman in red, an elderly woman, stands up and uh, says she doesn't trust Obama because he's an Arab. And, you know, and, and, and McCain, uh, to his great credit, pushes back and says, uh, you know, no, Barack Obama, we disagree on issues, but he is a good, decent family man. Um, a lot of people are pointing to that as as a as one of uh, John McCain's best moments. But I want to think about the reaction to that, because ultimately you had two visions of the way to approach these issues. And the Republican Party has chosen the woman in red as opposed to, to John McCain. But also, as, as the debate continues about what the values of the conservative movement should be, the number of times that's cited by his critics as an example of how he was not forceful enough. Uh, that that he that he pulled his punches, and that what they like about the the new conservative movement, or that were the new Republican Party, whatever whatever it is, is the fact that that it 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 puts winning, it puts fighting, it puts pu- punching back above any of the kind of civility and personal decency that John McCain represented. Yeah, no, I think it's very telling. Uh... Um, that was kind of a proto-birther moment, I suppose, mm-hmm. for that woman. And, of course, Trump famously advanced the birther narrative. And, and there you have McCain, uh, in effect, slapping it down. I mean, he doesn't develop it, but mm-hmm. that's what he's really saying is, no, Obama's American. And there's another moment. I hadn't seen this one until this morning, actually, when I was on TV and they showed it. Uh, also from 08, though, where someone says, I'm really terrified or scared. I think of the future of this country. We could have Obama as president. It's it just unbelievable and, uh, you know, it's terrifying. And, and McCain says, look, I believe me, I, I want to win. Not uh, You should vote for me, not for President Obama, and not for Barack Obama, Senator Obama. But we shouldn't be scared. We will. This is a great country. We will survive, whoever, whoever's president. That kind of confidence in the country, that kind of civility, as you say, uh, yes, modern Trump's conservatism has walked away from it. I think to very uh, that will not end well. It will not end well for the country. It will not end well for conservatism. And fine, Trump pulled out a very narrow victory in 2016 against a wildly inferior candidate than the ones that McCain and Romney, than the one that McCain and Romney had run against, um, and maybe. You know, it doesn't really prove to me that Trump's a better candidate even. It just proves that he happened to get a, a good breaks in, a, in, a, in what was a much easier year to win. Didn't have the 2008 crash, didn't have to run against mm-hmm. the incumbent as Romney did. But leaving all that aside, you know, the, the damage Trump is going to do with his version of conservatism, I think, to conservatism, uh, to the, what conservatism cares about, which is a decent country, a constitutional country, the rule of law, liberty at home and abroad – that's not worth whatever you know. Few votes you pick up by appealing to people's fears and prejudices and and mistaken views. Really, McCain did try to correct people when they were wrong. Uh, he wasn't uh, you know he wasn't above politics. He there he, he, sure. he pulled his punches occasionally and so forth. Uh, but that's a very different thing from from uh, from the way the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Bay is. The 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 story you just told about uh, his his response, of course, that is the 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 opposite of the flight 93 yeah. approach to the election which is that every election is is the apocalypse is the the other side is so awful uh, that we have to storm the cockpit because uh, if, if if they win we will definitely all die um, you know maybe we'll all die anyway but but we we have to do this which means in that flight 93 world 
that that any tactic, anything is justifiable because you know everything is is on the line. Every every moment is seventeen seventy six, and and I do think that John McCain had that kind of that kind of perspective, but he doesn't. So let's just talk about politics. Uh, do you have any idea what uh, the governor Governor Ducey of Arizona is going to do? He's got to appoint somebody. Uh, to replace John McCain, it's a very difficult circumstance. The the Arizona Republican Party has taken a very you know rather dramatic shift, even though John McCain is regarded as uh, as a hero throughout much of the country. Among you know on the on the Republican primary front, um, his name is anathema. So, any sense of what the governor will do, or what you think he should do? I guess he said he won't make an appointment until after the you know week of services is over, sure. and so I guess the primary is tomorrow. So we'll have a little clarity about how that's shaken out in the in the Senate primary for Jeff Flake's seat. Um, I hope he appoints someone who will obviously be a good senator, a responsible custodian mm-hmm. of the seat. We're talking about two two plus years now until there be a special election in 2020 to finish out the term, and then another election in 2022. Um, you know, I hope he appoints someone who's basically in line with McCain's views. I think it's just appropriate if you're replacing a senator to try to take someone who has the basically same fundamental views about America's role in the world and about uh, you know who will vote for Kavanaugh, but will also vote for. Uh, you know, strong American foreign policy and for confronting Putin and so forth. So there are plenty of people in Arizona who could do that. It could be a businessman. It doesn't have to be some career politician. It could be someone who says, I'll just do this for two years. If former Senator Kyle would agree to do it, that would be great, I think. Mm, Um, Interesting. Really? Yeah. I mean, he'd be terrific. The former Attorney General, Grant Woods, uh, was a friend of, of John's, I know, and I think thought similarly about things. Uh, and again, I think he would, you know, could do it as a two-year thing and not and not intend to necessarily run for the seat. So I, I don't know what he's going to do, but I very much hope he, you know, he picks someone who will try to hold the seat for the remaining two years of, until there's a special election in, in the spirit well, of John McCain. What about Cindy McCain? I don't know. I'm not sure that we're, as a country, sort of still in the <laughs> having spouses fill the job sort of mode, and I'm not sure she would want to do it, and maybe it would be better not to sort of, uh, I don't know how to put it, even put that burden almost on the McCain legacy and just, um, you know, let, let, let someone else come in, I think. It will be an extraordinary moment later this week uh, when President Barack Obama delivers the eulogy for, for John McCain, um, something that would have been Hard to imagine a few years ago, but uh, now um, I, I think is going to be one of those defining moments of, of how our politics have changed. What did you think of of John McCain's decision to invite President Bush and President uh, uh, President Obama uh, to speak at his funeral, but pointedly disinvited the sitting president of the United States? You know, I think he he knew what he was doing when he when he conveyed those wishes. Uh, look, I think it's an honor to have the two most recent uh, pr- uh, former presidents uh, speak at your funerals, obviously, and I think he's he would be gratified that they're both uh, pleased and honored to do that, and I'm, I'm sure that they'll both speak well. And, but you know, it is a bit of a statement about uh, sort of a respect for the office, a respect for uh, the traditions of the office, for a certain kind of bipartisanship um, that uh, I think he thought the current president didn't share 
And so I don't think he wanted to particularly make it about Trump. I think he wanted to make it about America and about a certain understanding of America in which, as has happened so many times in funerals of so many you know, distinguished senators and presidents uh, over the last 30, 40, 50, 200 years, you know, the countries come together and there have been tributes from both sides and different people have, you know, presidents have assembled at former presidents' mm-hmm. funerals and so forth. And I think he thought of this as being very much in that tradition. Yeah, Richard Nixon's funeral comes to mind. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining me. I think it's going to be an extraordinary week. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>